0: and for the next few weeks we will be discussing the biblical revelation of kingdom praying what is prayer really supposed to be what is it that Jesus said prayer is not supposed to be and how is it that we can pray and be effective uh, I don't I mean this in the most sincere way without uh, without any intent of being critical or judgmental but the people of God essentially don't know how to pray. We don't really know how to pray and if it wasn't for the baptism of the Holy Ghost and uh, the ability to pray in tongues according to uh, Romans chapter 8 uh, verses 26 and 27, we would not have much effective prayer and we'll we'll see in just a few minutes from what Jesus said uh, how ineffective much of our prayer really is. Let, let me, but first of all, if you will allow me, let, let's just talk about prayer in general. I think James, in just a few verses, gave us one of the most concise uh, descriptions of prayer in its effectiveness uh, that's in the Bible. It's James chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. Notice how often prayer is talked about in these few verses. James five thirteen: Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. <laughs> that's it. Any of you afflicted, let him pray. pray. The word afflicted here doesn't, just, doesn't mean just a physical affliction. You could be going through circumstances that are afflicting you emotionally, mentally, spiritually, or some combination of these four. You may be going through a time of financial affliction, of your family going through an affliction or trouble or distress, whatever. So the Lord said, are you going through difficult times? Pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms, which in this context is spiritual prayer, praising God, giving praise and honoring God, but it's a type of prayer. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. I believe I've been to doctors. My wife's been to doctors. I thank God for everything that God has allow the medical profession to discover and the help that they are, and I am not speaking a word against medicine. I am telling you what the Word of God says. It does not say, Is any sick among you, let him go to the emergency room. Any sick among you, let him call for the doctor. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So here's, here's a sick person having someone come and pray for them. And obviously this person is now praying in cooperation with and simultaneously with those that are praying for him. Because the prayer of faith is going to save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Well, you can't be forgiven sins if you don't pray, confess, and repent. So he had to pray. So he wasn't just passively being prayed for. He was participating in prayer. And then here's another one. Confess your faults one to another and go gossip about them. I'm being facetious. Obviously, it doesn't say that. It says confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. So if you're going through trouble, you pray. If you're happy, you're supposed to pray, sing songs of prayer and praise. If you're sick, you're supposed to... Have enough faith to have the elders of the church pray for you. And in that process of you being healed physically, you're also supposed to repent, and I believe, uh, forgive others that have uh, uh, that have offended you so that you can be healed inside and out, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically. And then it says the prayer of faith will save the sick, Lord's raise them up. And then here's this one. We confess our faults to one another. We're not unloading on, on somebody. We are truly, genuinely asking someone to pray with us, for us. And here's prayer. It's not about us. It's prayer for others. So I start out praying for my trouble. I have the church pray for me in my sickness so that I can not only get healed, but I can be cleansed of all of my sins. And then I... We pray one for another, and James says the effectual, this is verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much and accomplishes much. In other words, biblical prayer works. But notice the progression here. It's a progression. We're supposed to start out praying for ourselves when we come to God and we begin to grow in God and then we gradually learn to move away from praying for ourselves to then praying for others and then finally we get this example verse 17 Elias which is Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are in other words he was just as much human as we are he wasn't a superman was super saint He was a human being called of God. And we're all human beings called of God. We have something he didn't. We've been made partaker of the divine natures by exceeding great and precious promises. We've been filled with his spirit. Elijah had the spirit of God on him as a prophet of God. We've got the spirit in us. That's why Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet born a woman. However, whoever's least In the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Well, what is it talking about? The scripture says, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Paul said, the kingdom of God is not in word, 1 Corinthians 4.20, but in power. So, and then Romans 14.17 says, kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So Elijah had the Spirit of God upon him so he could function in the office as a prophet. But every person that's been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost is a part of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is within us. Why? Well, according to most folks, it's just to save us. That's the only purpose of it. Just to save us. Just for me. Just here to help me. Just here to save me. Just here to fix my life. Just here to undo all that. Really? 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 Jesus came, John the Baptist, excuse me, came preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus in his ministry preached the kingdom of God. On the day of his ascension in Acts chapter 1, before his ascension he talked to them again reminding them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of god the apostles preached the kingdom of god the last verse of the book of acts paul was speaking continued in this house and and preached and taught of the things of the kingdom of god and that's just to save me individually that's all that's for there's no other purpose of the kingdom of God on earth, but to save me. And, of course, when you're born again, we are born again into the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3, and John chapter 3, verse 5. We're born again into the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom is what God has planned and purposed to do in the earth, which is a whole lot more than just saving me. So if I'm participating with the kingdom of God, then I can and will do that. But listen to this man who is just like me. Elijah was a man subject to like passions. This is James chapter 5 verse 17. As we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth its fruit. Well, what a nice magic trick. I guarantee he made some money in the offering after he did that. Really? No. The purpose of Elijah's prayer was the spiritual condition of Israel. He did not pray this to demonstrate who he was. He didn't pray this to impress people with his giftings and power. He prayed this to get Israel's attention so that they would repent. So we start out praying for our troubles. And then we pray for our, our physical and spiritual needs. And then we pray for others. And then we pray for the world. This is the progression of prayer. This is the pr- progression of prayer. So today, we're going to talk about kingdom praying. Well, let's, let's look at kingdom praying a little bit from the scripture. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, and context for a moment, please. Jesus, this chapter 6 is in the middle of three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, that are all called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. It's called, uh, that's our terminology for it, the Sermon on the Mount. There was a great multitude of people that were there. And the location was a mountain, I don't, I don't remember which one. And Jesus taught all of these different things. Boy, he covered some ground. He would he, his met his lesson that day would have failed the hermeneutics and homiletics test in every Bible college and seminary in the war in the world. Because he covered some ground. And here in the middle of this, to this crowd he uh, he gave directions on how to pray and he talked about prayer matthew chapter 6 verse 5 and when thou prayest notice he didn't say if you pray because it is assumed that if i am a born again child of god i will pray if i do not pray then i am disavowing that i'm a born again child of god that's pretty brutal brother right really that's brutal Or is that just frank and honest? Is that just saying what the truth is? Should be said. If I habitually do not pray, I have disavowed that I'm a born-again child of God. Oh, we have another term for that. Backslidden. Oh, but I go to church. I worship God. I give my money. Really? Really. So you're a religious person. You just don't know anything about Jesus. No, in most cases the reason the people of God don't pray is we don't really know how to pray. We don't really know how to pray. Because if we believed in prayer and believe prayer works, nothing could keep us from praying. Nothing. Nobody. No circumstance. No situation. No schedule of the day. No priority. No activity. No emergency would keep us from praying if we believe that prayer works if you believe that prayer was truly the first and foremost expression of the ministry of the kingdom of God so Jesus said when you pray when you pray you shall not Be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Now let me say to you, it says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is seen in secret shall reward thee openly. This isn't talking about corporate prayer meetings. Now I know I've been in some too where there's people, boy, they want everybody to hear them pray. And they, they want everybody to know that they're spiritual and they pray. I know there's some like that. But the exception doesn't doesn't uh, do away with the rule. And the principle is uh, that where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'll be in the midst. And if any two of you agree on earth is touching anything, you'll have it of my Father which is in heaven. And if we are the body of Christ, then we're also the bride of Christ. And individually, or we are sons of God. Collectively, we're the bride of Christ. And in every family that is not dysfunctional, the wife has more influence with the husband than the children do. And if the children have more influence with the wife or the husband than the mate does, that family is dysfunctional. And so when we come together, we're not sons of God when we come together, we're a bride the bride of Christ, and so we pray corporately together. This Jesus is not talking against corporate prayer here. In fact, in a moment I'm going to read where he said our Father. When I when he's teaching us to pray our Father, he if he wanted me, he expected me just to pray this by myself, he would have said, Taught me to pray my Father. So the very word our to start the prayer indicates that corporate prayer is valid. So let me move on. Verse 7. But when we pr- when you pray, use not vain repetitions the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. What is he talking about here? He's talking about those who have created idols out of stone and wood and whatever. And they have all these inc- incantations and repetitious things they pray, hoping that their God that is not a God (coughs) will hear them. And Jesus is saying, (laughs) you can talk all you want, but a God that's not God can't respond. Every religion teaches some kind of prayer. But how many religions teach that God answers those prayers? Supernaturally. How many of those religions teach that prayer is two-way communication? And that we talk to God, and if I'm his child, individually, if we are his bride collectively, he's not going to talk back to us. The essence of relationship is communications. Communication has got to be two-way or it's not communication. If he's only talking to us, and we're not listening, or we're only talking to him and he's not responding... Then we don't have communication going on. Therefore, we don't have a relationship. So true prayer, at its most fundamental element, is communication based on relationship. And he's saying that we, as believers, born-again believers who do not, who have a relationship, are supposed to have a relationship with him, are not supposed to pray like the heathen. Well... My mother was attending United Pentecostal Church when I was born. And uh, I learned to pray like them. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Or just Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. And that's so much a part of our culture that to say anything against that, Oh, it's so highly offensive. There's so many. Well, get ready to get offended. It's vain repetition. And the Lord can't answer that prayer. There's nothing, there's no faith involved in that kind of praying. You're not believing for anything. You're not asking for anything. There's nothing being prayed that the Lord can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. In that prayer. So it can't be kingdom praying. It may make you feel better. It may let you mark the day off as a day, another day you've prayed. You can put in a lot of time just repeating vain repetition. With your mind a million miles away, going over all you got to do today, meditating on your trouble while you never even cast that on God. I, I know, I know, I understand that to so many these statements sound so harsh, so unkind. So, uh, your child is about to step off in the street and you're going to go, now little Johnny, don't do that because that car that's coming right there, he's going to hit you and you're going to die. There's not a loving parent in this world that would wonder about hurting little Johnny's feelings when they see their child in danger Stepping off a curb in the path of an oncoming car. Johnny Love does that, you see. I'm not mad at anybody, I'm not trying to be unkind to anybody, I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody. But this world is careening out of the devil's control. He thought he had all of this under control and God's letting him, whatever. And he's waiting for the church to stand up. We're, we're barely over two months away from an election. It's going to change this country forever. It doesn't really matter which one gets elected. You, and the church is praying hallelujah, hallelujah, glory to God, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. That's what we're praying as we careen toward an event that is going to forever alter the course of the history of this nation and very potentially the world also? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Or just Jesus, 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 Jesus. So Jesus said, you don't pray in public to gain accolades from people because you pray. You don't pray vain repetition. He said what you do is, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. Now, if you'll allow me to scroll for just a minute, I wasn't sure I was going to talk about this right now, but I am. The uh, in Matthew chapter six, verse nine, the verb pray or to pray is in the Greek tense that's called present. Imperative active. I know, I know. I'm not a Greek scholar either. I can just read what Greek scholars, Greek scholars say. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I read what the Greek scholars say. And this is what they say. That the uh, the verb tense, present imperative active, means uh, in the active voice, it, it indicates a command to do something in the future, which involves continuous Or repeated action, or when it is negated, a command to stop doing something. And the active voice represents the action as being accomplished by the subject of the verb. And the subject of the verb here is King James English, ye, y e, in our English, you. After this manner, pray you. This is command folks but we we don't find very many people that pray this because we don't understand why we should pray like this and I don't want to get too into this right now because I want to come back to it in detail later whether in this uh, briefing or in the next one, or the one after that this is part one of kingdom praying I am not going to hurry through this It is too important. It is too life-changing. It's too critical to what God wants to do through the church to hurry through it. So I pray that you would have the hunger and the patience to listen to this and to listen to parts two, parts three, or whatever other parts uh, are necessary to cover this subject in the way the Lord wants it covered. And then there will be other things we'll talk about in the remaining briefings before the actual first day of call to war. So, listen to what else Jesus said here. <clears throat> After this manner, pray ye, therefore, uh, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you will not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your your Father forgive your trespasses. And then skipping down to verse 19, for time's sake, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, uh, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, There will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thine whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Now listen carefully. Listen carefully. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. What two masters are you talking about, Lord? You cannot serve God and mammon. Well, we have some idea of who God is. But who is this other God called mammon? Everything that has to do with this natural world, as we need it for survival, as we want it for Riches, wealth, as we want it for pleasure, as we want it for entertainment. Uh, Just a side note here. A lot of people equate rest and recreation with relaxation and entertainment. They're not even remotely on the same Planet. They're in different solar systems. The word relax means the prep prefix re means to do something against. So if I'm relaxing, I'm becoming lax again. That's not the same thing as resting. Hebrews says that he that has entered into his rest has ceased from his own works as God did from his. So all the pressure and weight I feel when I'm trying to live for God and work for God and I'm carrying all this load upon me, I'm working. I'm not resting. So if I want to truly rest, I've got to give all that up and let the Lord simply work for through me and minister through me and carry all of my loads through me so that I have peace because you can't separate peace and rest. Relaxation is negative. It means I go back to a place of carnality where my flesh is in control and I decide what's best for me and I become lax again, spiritually or otherwise. Rest is not that. Rest is a spiritual experience. Come unto me, Matthew 11, beginning with verse 29, I think it is, 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Yoke implies work. Take, you want to rest? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find, here it is, rest for your souls. True rest is an inner thing. It's not an outer thing. If I'm tired physically, a good night's sleep is going to fix that. If I stand here talking to you for an hour or so, my back's going to be a little stiff and my legs are going to be a little sore and my feet are going to hurt a little bit, all I've got to do is sit down in a chair for a few minutes and rest because I'm no longer working. And my body will begin to feel better just just a short amount of time. That's not being lax. Relaxing means I'm going back to a place where I am not trusting God. I'm going back to a place where I'm in control and deciding what's best for me. Look at all I've done for God. Look at all the prayer I've done, all the work I've done for God. Look at all I've done for God. I deserve to relax. I'd just like to see book, chapter, and verse for that. Because in my life, every time I've relaxed, I ended up in trouble. Because relaxation doesn't promote prayer. It doesn't promote fellowship with God. and then there's a big difference between recreation which of course comes from recreation so true recreation which normally involves some kind of physical activity which is which profits a little it's not it can't be our main thing we do it can't be who we are our physical activities of recreation cannot define who we are. I'm a Christian I'm not a golfer I'm not a hunter I'm not a fisherman I'm not a runner I'm not a weightlifter etc 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 cetera I'm a Christian I'm a born-again child of God I'm not any of those things I may do those things as the Lord permits but I'm not those things when I'm when when he gives me permission to do that, and, and I enjoy doing some of those things. When he gives permission to do that, it is recreative. Because it allows a, a positive shift inside of me. Away from my normal schedule, my normal pressures. It gives me an opportunity to experience recreation. So obviously... It's not something I could or should be doing as the main focus of my day and of my life. But it is, it's good. It's a proven fact that sedentary people are not healthy. And they also are people who have more stress than most people. So what do we do? Well, if you're like me, if you're under stress, you eat. Now some people, they get under stress, they can't eat. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Uh, there have been times in my life I wished my I was like that, because not me. Because when I, when I before I learned all this, when I got under stress, <laughs> I want chocolate. If I can't get chocolate, I want something sweet, something sweet. Because I found comfort in food rather than in God. That's what I did. Now, huge difference between recreation and entertainment. Most entertainment is not produced by believers and is either overtly or subtly working in me to promote carnality. Is Entertainment in and of itself evil? Not some of it. But when I give myself to it and become addicted to it, where I don't pray, I'm going to watch TV or do Facebook or surf the net and not pray. Now I've given over to entertainment. And the sad thing is, there's a lot of people that will go go to church uh, tomorrow, and uh, they'll believe they're okay. They've spent all week long, every moment they could, entertaining themselves—some video game, virtually vicariously involved in all kind of stuff—and with no prayer. Prayer, and they're not, and, they, and they're going to walk in the building, and they're not even going to repent. They're just going to go in and start worshiping without repentance. With no repentance. It's one thing. Not that it's okay. But it's one thing if you go in and acknowledge. Oh Lord. I have given myself over the flesh all week. This is wrong. Please forgive me. And then you worship. You go in and worship. And you don't even acknowledge. That the way you've lived your life all, all week. Was not pleasing to him. And so. And so. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. An easy way to tell, to, de- to determine whether or not you're serving this world is go without whatever thing is your favorite thing for a week, two weeks. If it doesn't bother you at all, at all, you don't even miss it, then you're not serving it. But if your mind is constantly dwelling on what am I missing on Facebook or what tweets am I missing or or or, or what what new video on YouTube am I missing and has gone viral and and, and, and my, my 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 show and it's it's episode this week I've missed God have mercy God have mercy or the ball game if if I can't Put it aside. Then I don't have power over it. It's got power over me. That means I'm serving it. So Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. Well, what's the outcome here? If I'm not really serving God, I think I am, but I'm not. If I'm really serving mammon. It's going to affect the way I pray. And Listen to what Jesus said about that. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink nor yet for your body what you shall put on. It's not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. In other words, when you are serving mammon, well, oh, you fret all this stuff. And that's what your prayer is about. Lord, I need this and give me this and and, and this is due. And I've got to fix this. And, and I go run up a big credit card bill and then begin to plead with God to pay my bills. When it was my service of the God mammon that ran up the bill in the first place. Or caused me to buy a house I couldn't afford. Or a car I couldn't afford. And you no know, one of the people of God don't pray. Because we're under so much pressure from the God of mammon. And it's, again, expressed in what I pray for. Take no thought for your life, verse 25. Jesus said it. Therefore I, Jesus, said unto you. Take no thought for your life, what you eat, what you drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. It is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air; for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, nor yet uh, your uh, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? You know we don't think about this. Do the birds pray for food to eat? Do the flowers pray for the sun or the rain? It gets cold. I I, I enjoy living in Maryland. We have four very distinct seasons. We have days that are very hot, and to walk in uh, out of a hot day in in uh, July or August, which is usually the worst, and uh, and go into air conditioning, whoo! What a relief! But all those animals are still outside in that heat and humidity. Who takes care of them? Or January, February. During one of those cold snaps, or maybe an ice storm or a snowstorm, and hopefully the power hadn't gone out, we're able to sit there and look at our window and watch it snow and be warm from our heater. All those animals are in, outside in that snow. Who takes care of them? Why aren't there hundreds and thousands of carcasses of animals dead on the ground in July and August from heat exhaustion or? dead on the ground come spring, we find their bodies because they froze to death. It was so cold. Why? Who takes care of them? And he said, aren't you better than them? They weren't made in the image of God. I am. You are. If we can't trust him for this, it's because two things. First of all, we don't have a relationship with him that's... that." where we have learned we can trust God. We're his children. He loves us. Second of all, whether we acknowledge or not, we're serving the God of mammon. And he's driving us more, more, more. And then we can't pay the bill. Then we live under stress and pressure. And then that's what we, we pray about all the time. Verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit? unto a stature or in our day of time, which of you by taking thought, just by taking thought, worrying about it, can lose six inches off your waistline? No, you don't want to lose weight, you gotta do something about it. You want to trust God, you gotta do something about it. Verse twenty eight And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow, is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye, of little faith? Now, the Lord has mercy on people with little faith. He accused even his own apostles of having little faith at times. He had mercy on them. He will have mercy on you with little faith, but he won't use you. He can't use you. He can't do great things for his kingdom through people with little faith because it's little faith in him. It's minimal minimum amount of trust in him. He said, except you be converted and become his little children, you can't enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, you tell a 16-year-old you're going to do something, they'll cut their eyes at you like, eh, maybe you will, maybe you won't. You tell a 2-year-old, a 4-year-old, ha, huh. ha. Oh, don't ever promise a four-year-old you're going to do something. You will hear it. You will hear it over and over again. Why? Because they believe you meant what you said and you're going to do what you said. Except you become as a little child. You can't enter the kingdom of God. Oh, you little faith. Verse 31, Listen. Therefore take no thought saying, What shall shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek after. Gentiles are fatherless people, spiritually. And fatherless people have to take care of themselves. Those that have a heavenly father have learned they can trust him if they fellowship with him, live in obedience to his word, They can trust him regardless of the circumstances. They can trust him. For after all these things that the Gentiles seek after, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Didn't he just say that three times here? Let's see. Didn't he? Oh, yeah, he said that. He said that (laughs) in. Verse 8, be not ye therefore like unto them, uh, uh, the the, the heathen, who use vain repetitions, for your father knoweth what ye have need of before ye ask him. And then he said in verse uh, 32, for after all these things that the Gentiles seek after, for your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Well, if he knows I need all this stuff, then why don't I have it? That is really a good question. Why don't you have it? Your heavenly father is not going to wrestle with you over control of your life. Your heavenly father is not going to get up in your face and shake his finger in your face and say, you're going to trust me or else. No. When we don't surrender our lives to him, and I'm talking about believers on a daily basis, we don't give up control of our lives to him on a daily basis. When we don't trust him, he just steps back says, okay, I'm here when you're ready to let me be God. But you want to play God? I'm going to let you play God however long it takes for you to finally get the message. You're not God and neither is this world. That's not right. What? You want him to force you to live, live for him? If he forces one person to obey his word, He's got to apologize to everybody that's in hell forever. Because he didn't force them. And he said he's no respecter of persons. He can't make one person live for him without, if he's going to be a just God, without making every person live for him. What can he do? He can allow our circumstances. He can use our circumstances to get our attention, to teach us, To trust him. He can do that. And he does do that. He does that. So here we are one more time. Verse 31. Matthew 6. Therefore take no thought saying what shall we eat. Or what shall we drink. Or wherewithal shall we be clothed. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first. The kingdom of God. This is part one of kingdom praying. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The word first here in the Greek, Matthew 6.33, has a dual elements to it. First, it's the word first in order of time. If you work all night and you get up at noon, then you seek God first in your day, which would be when you get up at noon. If you work the midnight shift and you get up at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, then you start your day by seeking the kingdom of God first. The word seek here means to pursue. It's the focus of life to pursue the kingdom of God and participation with the kingdom and participation in the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is very, very, very simply stated as all that God has planned and purposed to do in the earth through His people. Now, there's going to be another expression of the kingdom of God later in life. But hey, is it possible... That since we're going to be a part of the kingdom of God in eternal life. That we're learning how to trust God to be used of God to to participate in the kingdom of God here. And that we're going to use the things we learn about the kingdom of God here forever. I believe that with everything in me. I believe that's the one of the main purposes of this life. Is for me to learn about the kingdom of God. In this kind of situation, because there won't be any opposition to God in the next life. And we'll have to learn how the kingdom of God applies through us in eternity. But apply it does. So here we are. The second connotation of the word, or part of the definition of the word translated first, is first in order of priority. What's your first priority of life? What's the first priority of your day? Well, church is my first priority. It's not mine. Church is not my first priority. God's my first priority. The kingdom of God is my second priority. And my third priority is participating with God in his kingdom in prayer every day. You're saying that, Brother Wright. No. I mean that literally. Literally. There's a person that knows that's true. Her name's Alice Wright. You know her, ask her. Ask her what priority it is in my life. If anybody knows she does, and she won't cover for me, and she won't lie, she'll tell you. It's the first priority. Because... That's what I'm doing here. That's why I was born. That's why I was created. To be a part of God. To be a part of His life. Part of His plans. Therefore, part of His kingdom. If I'm not participating with the kingdom of God, as the first priority of my life. My life is out of step. It's out of joint. It's, it's, It's out of phase. It's... It's out of tune with God. It's not in harmony with Him. And so everything is hard. Living for God is hard. Working for God is hard. Praying is hard. Because I'm trying to get God to do stuff that's not His priority. He said if I would give first and foremost attention to what's His priority, oh, listen to this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all, A-L-L, the Greek word there is P-A-S, is the English equivalent letters of it. It means all, and one uh, lexicon said it means radically all. And all these things shall be added unto you. You don't earn them. You don't deserve them. You don't gain them. You don't win them. You don't even seek them. They're added. Put his kingdom first. He adds the stuff in this life he wants you to have. Let me tell you something. There's been times I've been really uncomfortable with the stuff he's added to me. Wasn't seeking it. Wasn't looking for it. Wasn't lusting after it. Wasn't praying for it. Didn't ask for it. And he gave it to me. He said, I want you to have this. You know what? (laughs) Oh, even though this is, uh, I'm in this studio and you're wherever you are watching this, I have a Holy Ghost and the skepticism of those statements is, huh, it's uh, pretty sad, frankly. Well, I'm willing to stand before the judgment seat of God this moment with those statements I just made. And you know what? You know me by face or voice, whatever degree you think you know me. He knows me by heart. He knows about my heart more than I even know about my heart. And I'm willing to trust him with those statements because he knows they're true. Everything I've got, he can have it right now. It's his. It's only on loan. I'm just a steward of it. I want his kingdom. I, I was ministering the other day and Use these verses. I, I've used, I've quoted, and prayed these verses so many times. Uh, they're spoken by the prophet King David, and uh, they're so important to me that uh, my firstborn son is named David. So that every time I say his name, consciously or subconsciously, I am confessing my faith in David's desire for the heart of God. He said, first of all, in Psalms, I think it's 42, as the heart, H-A-R-T, not H-E-A-R-T, the heart of small deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. But then in Psalm 63, David said, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, and this is the one that's amazing to me, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory in the sanctuary so as i have seen thee now those two hebrew words translated see in that verse are not the same word so i'm paraphrasing it for you and using the different hebrew words the para the meaning of the different hebrew words in that verse Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see with my eyes in manifestation in the earth what I have seen of you in my spirit, with my spiritual eye, as I've spent time with you in your sanctuary. That's what I want. I want to be a part of this kingdom. Want to be a part of His kingdom? Let's go on for a moment. There is a passage that is not really a parallel passage. We consider it parallel because this is the other uh, place where what has been called the Lord's Prayer uh, is recorded in the Scripture. the The Lord's Prayer is John seventeen. That was the Lord praying. Both of these places, he was teaching prayer. In Matthew chapter six, verses nine through thirteen, he was teaching prayer in principle to a multitude, a mixed multitude of people—some uh, who were followers, some who were, who were uh, inquisitors, seekers, some who were skeptics—and so he talked about the negative side of prayer. Don't pray this way. Don't pray this way. You don't need to pray about this. Whatever. In in fact, the focus needs to be kingdom. Uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and earlier he taught us how to pray for the kingdom. After this manner, pray ye. I command you to pray this. Start now and keep on doing it. This. After this manner, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, et etc. et cetera. So he was teaching a mixed multitude how to pray at his initiation in Matthew chapter 6. In Luke eleven, boy this is this is really powerful here. Luke eleven verse one says And it came to pass that he, as he, Jesus, was praying, in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray. And they had to have heard him pray on occasions. At this point, I don't know how many occasions. I know there were times he he prayed by himself, but there are other times where he obviously prayed uh, in their presence. And something about his prayer was so powerful and vibrant and alive and effective and moving. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And, And in my opinion, they were saying, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. And he said unto them, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven so in earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Notice the two aren't exactly the same. Well, that's inconsistent. That's contradiction. No, it's not. Because what he did by that, the version that he gave to the mixed multitude and the, the version that he gave to his disciples in teaching them how to pray and what to pray, <coughs> excuse me, he, uh, he was simply demonstrating this. He wasn't saying, repeat these words. Because if, we're, if there's a certain prayer, we're supposed to pray by repeating it Doesn't that become vain repetition? And shouldn't it be exactly word for word the same? If I'm supposed to repeat a certain prayer? No. He was teaching the principles of prayer. And they're just a little bit different. So you can know that it's the principle of each one of these elements that's important. And not the exact verbiage of how to pray for that. Because it varies every day. When you pray what he's commanded us to pray... And you let the Spirit pray through you. And be the flow that comes so you can pray this. It will be somewhat different every day. Some days it will be a lot longer than other days. Some days there's all kind of different details you'll cover that you don't cover other days. It's not vain repetition. Because you're not repeating. You're praying the things He said was important for us to pray for. But He doesn't stop there. Next verse. Verse 5, he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and go shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot rise and give thee. I usually try to explain here that they weren't all in one big king-sized bed. They slept on the floor on mats. And when the living area became the sleeping area, everybody was laid out on mats. And it was difficult to move from where they were laying to the door without disturbing the others there. Verse 8 says, And I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Now, as I explained in Call of War briefing number three about Daniel's 21 days of prayer, this importunity of going back and back and back and back and praying for something is not because we're trying to convince God to give us something he doesn't want to give us. All of this was his idea first. So what are we doing when we're going back and back and back and praying? What was Daniel doing? We found out he was really praying spiritual warfare even when he didn't honestly know he was praying spiritual warfare. I I, I need to say this to you, and some just don't want to accept this, but Jesus himself said, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. That's who Jesus called the devil. And when the devil took him up to a high mountain and showed him all these kingdoms, Jesus didn't say, all these kingdoms aren't yours. You're lying. Uh, he didn't do it. And Paul said, if the if our gospel be hid, is hid then lost in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. And then, I believe it's in uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians. Talks about the the work of the prince of the power of the air. Who's the spirit that now works in the children to disobedience. So my friend. (laughs) We are not. We are not. Participating in a world. That is God's. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof but not the world. The word world in the Greek, that's the primary world, word translated world, is K-O-S-M-O-S, which is the uh, English equivalent letters, cosmos, which is actually a word we brought into English that has various uses people have used, cosmos. It's this world system of things. And Satan is the god of the cosmos. This world system. The spiritual power that's behind culture and society and all things that are not of God. And when you were born again, water of water and the spirit, you're no longer part of that system. And you can't, Jesus talked about, he prayed for us, my, those you gave me, they're in the world, but they're not of the world. The boat's in the water, but it's not supposed to become of the water. So, he saved us. We're in the water. But we don't want water in our boat. We're in the world, but we don't want world in our lives. We're in a different, we're, we're under a different kingdom. There's the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of the devil. I'm not talking about governments. I'm talking about in the spirit world. And then there's the kingdom of God. And you're in one or the other. You can't be in both. You're serving one or the other. You can't serve both. You're participating with one or the other, but you're not participating with both. It's impossible. And if you are a captive, the Greek word literally means prisoner of war, you haven't changed sides. You're just a prisoner. But let me tell you what happens with a prisoner of war. A prisoner of war is now trusting his captors for food and shelter. Not the nation he's a part of. So spiritual people, people that are born again, who are participating with the God of famine, with the God of this world, and that's who they give themselves to on a daily basis, much more than God. They now are not trusting their heavenly father for food and clothing and where to sleep. They're trusting the God of this world. It's all about the paycheck, it's all about the money they earn. If your source is your paycheck, and that's where your trust is, you, you, you got to do some praying here. Because God's the one that gives me the health, the skill, the ability, the opportunity to have the job. My source is God. He's the only one to get me a promotion. He's the only one to get me a different job. He's the only one to give me the ability to do a different job. He's the only one who can open doors and close doors of opportunity. My source is not my paycheck. I love the people of this church. I've been ministering in this church now. This next month, 46 years. But they're not my source of income. They don't pay me. They give to God what belongs to God. God pays me. I work for God. And if these people decide they don't want to pay me, my source is not taken away from me. Because God is always my source. So who are you trusting? Who are you praying to? Who are you giving your allegiance and total energy, energy to? That's, that's the problem here, isn't it? Isn't that the problem? It is the problem. So, every prayer we pray is essentially a conflict in the supernatural. Can God give it to us without anything? Of course He can. Well, why doesn't He? How else are we gonna grow? Faith can't grow unless it's used. Well, I'm not gonna use faith unless I need to. Weightlifting, I can lift up this iPad all day, and eventually it'll get heavy. It'll get heavy eventually. But let me tell you what. Eventually, do that every day. It won't. It, I can't even break a sweat doing that. I got to. Do something heavier and heavier. If I want to build strength, I have to progressively move to heavier loads. If I want to build faith, God's not going to give me faith greater than I need it. I can't wear faith like shoulder boards of an officer in the military. Or medals on a chest. Oh, look, I got faith. He gives faith to those that need faith. And let me tell you something. I want my faith to grow so that I can trust him for my personal stuff but so that he can have plenty of faith to use to affect this world. If that means i got to pray for something over and over and over again like this person or the widow approaching the unjust judge God would use an unjust judge and a widow to teach faith? He said When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And he uses the example of the widow and the unjust judge. But see, you know, we want everything to happen just like this. We got microwaves and instant potatoes and instant this and that and the other and everything. You know, you know, uh, 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 DSL. Boy, that was fast one day. 3G. I can remember how fast 3G was on my phone. And now I get really impatient with LTE. And I got 100 gig a second or whatever it is, uh, internet at home. And, it, it, and when it's slow, I, I'm not happy about that. I want to push the button and it instantly happened on my computer or my device. That's the way we are today. Well, you don't grow like that. You don't grow like that. So God doesn't work like that. If you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have to understand there's opposition to this kingdom. And God is allowing this opposition to teach us how to pray so we can grow. So that we become mighty in God. And so, I continue reading. Verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because of his fr- he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh, shall be opened. The Amplified and weeks Expanded Translation are really close to the literal Greek here when it comes, when it says it like this. Ask, and keep on asking, and it shall be given you. Seek, and keep on seeking, and you'll find. Knock, and keep on knocking. And it will be open unto you. For everyone that asks and keeps on asking receives. And he that seeks and keeps on seeking finds. And to him that knocks and keeps on knocking. It's open. If you think our wishing well prayers are going to have any impact on God. And on the kingdom of God. And our walk with God. Where we'd really like to have that here Lord. If you'll give that to me fine. But if you don't no big deal. I'm not investing myself in praying for that. Not happening. And so he says, verse 11 For if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask, if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more? Shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? That parallel verse in Matthew says, How much more shall your heavenly Father give good things unto them that ask Him? So if I want the Spirit, I have to ask my Father and trust Him. He's going to give me His best and not some substitute that is harmful to me. Or so, not some dangerous spirit as an imitation. But also, if I'm asking good things. Well what good things am I asking for well not a rolls-royce and not a ten thousand square foot mansion and not two thousand dollar suits I'm asking for things for the kingdom so that the lost of this world can be saved. That is what I'm asking for and then i'm I'm going to close this uh, lesson with this one last passage from uh, the book of Luke in chapter eleven, skipping down to verse seventeen. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils so through Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come unto you. In a parallel passage, I believe it's in Matthew, Jesus said, if I by the Spirit of God cast out devils, then the kingdom of God has come to you. This is kingdom praying. Here it is. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him, excuse me, when a strong man, this is verse 21, Uh, Let me read 20 again. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come unto you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all of his armor, all his armor, wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, findeth none, he saith... I will return unto my house once I came out, and when he cometh he findeth it swept and garnished. Then he goeth and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. The point I'm making is in this chapter 11 of Luke, where Luke is recording the request of the disciples for Jesus to teach them how to pray. Those first few verses, our Father which art in heaven, etc., that wasn't all the teaching of Jesus on how to pray. He taught them how to pray from an importunity standpoint, and furthering the thought of importunity, ask, keep on asking, seek, keep on seeking, knock, keep on knocking. And he assured them that they had a father that would give him, give them his best, which is his kingdom and his righteousness. That's God's best. But then He summarizes in that same chapter the conflict between the kingdom of darkness and his kingdom. And of course they were saying you're casting out devils all right but it's the devil doing it through you. He's saying, I'm paraphrasing, how stupid would that be? If the devil casts out himself isn't he divided against himself? He said no. I'm casting out In Matthew, it's recorded, he said, if I by the Spirit of God cast out devils, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. But but here's the way Luke records this occasion. I don't believe it was the same occasion. I believe Jesus taught these same principles in several different scenarios. But if I were the finger of God, just the finger of God, not not all of God, just the finger of God, cast out devils, not one, plural, devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come unto you, upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. And then he says this. And this is a hint of direction toward what the kingdom of God is doing in the earth. Through the church. Before the rapture. When a strong man armed, keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divided his spoils. Two things the devil has that God wants and we should want. The lost souls that are captive because of their blindness. They're captives. And all of the goods of this earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle in a thousand hills and the gold and silver under the hills. As I will be teaching in a later phase of this kingdom praying subject. It is the will of God for the church to have resources to preach the gospel to every creature in this world. Not to build big monstrosities that are just decked out to the nth degree to impress the eye of man. I'm not preaching against having a decent looking church building. But at what point is nice enough, nice enough? At what point? I mean, so, the Lord wants to supply. It's His will to supply resources to the kingdom of God to preach the gospel to every creature. I was praying have been praying for several, several months now. Lord, if you've commanded us to preach the gospel to every creature, then undoubtedly you've got a plan. Well, for that plan to be fulfilled, it's going to take men, material, and money. That's what's needed to fulfill the plan. And our God is able to supply that. God bless you. Thank you for watching. Father, I love you. Thank you for this wonderful time of fellowship with you. I thank you for the spirit of revelation that you've been speaking to us with, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirits and we would learn how to pray, learn how to allow you to flow through us, not only in ministry to people, but in ministry to you and you through us to the spirit world of this world. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is so, and let it be so. Amen. God bless you.